Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is an author, speaker, and podcast host teaching financial truths after be given, being given the keys to an entire bank's investment department at the ripe old age of 19 years old. At a time when most millennials are going to college parties and playing Fortnite, this young mind was studying the complexities of money and traveling the globe to learn from the industry's top financial advisors about the secrets of creating wealth. But don't let his age fool you. The CEO of Blitz Matrix notes him as dynamic, intelligent, mission-driven change agent with an incredible depth of knowledge about the financial industry. Has been featured on several financial podcasts, including The Wealth Without Wall Street and Entrepreneur Perspectives, and spoken on stages across the country helping entrepreneurs transform their life and their business by leveraging the power of compound interest and investing. Obsessed with the idea of making money work for you and taking his knowledge of controlling money like a banker, he developed the controlled compound strategy, which allowed him to invest his money for retirement and utilize the same capital to self-fund his startup, uh, self-publish a book, and participate in a service trip to Guatemala, all before the age he could even rent a car. Through complete (laughs) transparency, he offers new age financial services with a primary focus on education and coaching with thousands of other successful entrepreneurs around the country. I'm honored to welcome the author of The And Asset, founder and CEO of Better Wealth Solutions, and the man nicknamed Sparky because he can gut and defeather a chicken in 52 seconds, <laughs> Williams. Oh my goodness, that's like the most uh, epic intro I've ever heard in my life. Like, I want to meet this guy. Yeah, man. Well, I'm excited to be on the show with you, interviewing you today. Um, I had the chance to read your book after we'd met at Next Next John, and I thought it was awesome content, definitely needed to be out here and sharing, so I'm glad to have you on today. Man, I just want to say it's such an honor being on here with you. It was fun just chatting earlier, and like, like, man, you have an amazing mission. I'm just grateful to be on the show. For sure. So let's go ahead and dive into it. And the first thing I want to know is about getting started on a chicken farm and um, sort of what you learned, you know, the value of money and work ethic and what you picked up. So I grew up in central Wisconsin. I was the oldest of six kids. And one of the things that my parents instilled in me was to work hard. Okay. So I, I'm not someone that likes, like, if you know me, I I don't like getting my hands dirty or whatever, but I'm like really like competitive and, and I'm a hard worker. So we had a family friends that had a chicken farm. I was called Sunday Produce and I got a job there. And when I, my first day I was, I was literally like, no lie. Like I was like, is this for real? Like I, <laughs> I, I, lo- I looked at the chicken. I'm like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I, like, and it, it was funny because, um, 52 seconds to, to got a bird. That's where like I got to. But when I first started, I was super, super slow. Yeah. And, and, and just kind of the journey along that um, just taught me not only a lot about life and business, but it taught me a lot about efficiency. And that's kind of mm. one of the things that I love and I'm obsessive about uh, around money is efficiency. But like in a small business, whether it's it's processing a chicken, whether it's like the whole business operation, whether it's the sales, like you learn efficient um, areas as it relates to every part of your life. And so I'm super grateful for that time. I don't wish that upon anyone, um, but I wouldn't trade that first job for anything. Yeah, absolutely. And so you talk, mentioned, you know, your parents and the, sort of the things they've been 
taught you and one of the things that you majorly learned from your dad was this idea of being proactive and you've done this with your life with mentors you know with learning about money so how can people cultivate that proactiveness yeah so I used to hate working with my dad because he was just so hard on me like he was just was mm. so hard on me and he, like when we would go working and I would be like 10 years old and he'd be like Caleb like don't stand around waiting for me to tell you what to do be looking for opportunities and and you know I, I didn't like that, but, but then you taking a step back, I'm so grateful that he was so hard on me. And so, um, if your parents are, are, are watching this or you're someone that like is trying to, um, get someone to really see that there are two things that I would say. Number one is I, I took it well and you could easily get a rebellious child. That's like, Oh, like I could have took it the wrong way. Right. Yeah. That opposite of proactive. Cause my dad was hard on me. Um, so I'm grateful that, that that's not the case. The other thing was I read seven habits of highly effective people. And one of the first, one of the first, you know, habit is, you know, be proactive. And it's so true, man. The person that's proactive will win every single time. It's, and it's the mindset and it's the discipline of putting yourself in, the, in an area and like working towards it. And so, um, yeah, that's, I mean, great question. And that's really, you're asking amazing questions because those are the, really the foundational pieces to why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, that was one of the first books you read. And one of the other ones you uh, read was The Richest Man in Babylon, which was actually the first financial book that I ever read as well. Um, and it was amazing because the concept of saving 10%, like I took that out of that book and I immediately implemented. Um, and that has served me over and over and over again in my life. And so I'm just curious what else you picked up from that. So yeah, the paying yourself first is, was, was like a light bulb moment, but then there's, a, there's another concept like, you know, tread, like hold on to that gold and like lend that money and like how to multiply that money. And one of the, one of the concepts that I got from Richest Man in Babylon, which by the way, if you're, if you're listening to my voice, go read that book, read yeah. the book, Richest Man in Babylon, because it's just such a powerful, like small little book on literally, it doesn't talk about tactics, but it talks about the mindset and how to be wealthy. And one of the things that another big thing that I got from it is like, our money could be, and this is not going to be politically correct, but our money could be like slaves working for us. So right. like, I'm working hard. I'm like busting my butt, like at the chicken farm, making a dollar per chicken. But then that dollar now can work for me. Now, mm -hmm. now I can continue to work, but my money can work for me. And that, that concept, man, like totally was fascinating me like at, at a very young age. And so, yeah, that's, that's the other kind of big takeaway that I got from the book. Yeah. And this sort of like, um, obsession with, you know, money working for you is kind of what started driving you down this. And you did uh, sort of when you had that bank job, you did like two years of like monk mode, deep dive, you know, trying to learn stuff. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell has this concept of 10,000 hours that you need to spend 10,000 hours to perfect your craft. And I really feel like that's what you did was trying to perfect your craft and finances. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned Mal Malcolm Gladwell because he also talks about uh, in David and Goliath the dyslexia. Hmm. One of the one of the blessings in disguises is I have a hard time reading, and so I am given this opportunity at it, at the bank to to literally go on like take over an investment department at 19 years old. Like who does that? Like, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Um, and and I was also given like the uh, opportunity to go learn from people. And so I'm 19 years old. I, I make a mission statement for myself and I, and I, it's really clear. I want to help people see and reach their highest potential. Majority of people are unable to live their potential in life because of money. And so I'm like, okay, if I'm going to actually do that, it's one thing to just have a mission statement on a wall. If I'm actually going to live that out, I have to like learn the very best ways. Right. And so instead of like 
going and reading, which I did, like I read a plenty of books. I would like try to go and find like who would be the ideal people for me to learn from. And so I would read the book, but what I would do is I would call the author and ask him, Hey, like, and it, I mean, it's, there's not a lot of 19 year olds, like, you know, at the position I was. So it's, it was, I kind of stood out. That's, that's right. like, you know, so I stood out and I was just like, you know what? I just want to learn from you. Like, can I like, there was one time I asked to just come and visit. Like I literally invited myself over to someone who lived in Birmingham who now is like a dear friend of mine, but they're like, we were kind of creeped out when you first asked, like to just come on over. But like, I started learning from some incredible people that had so much specialized knowledge and that compounded and gave me the confidence, which got me into other rooms, which introduced me to other people. And that obsession at 10,000 hours really has given me the confidence to have a book, have a podcast, like work with people all over the country and help them with their money. Even though if you're, if you're seeing me on camera, you're like, man, I didn't know a 16 year old could get their, uh, their license. Well, I'm not 16, but I look like I'm 16. And so I have some extra challenges that I have to jump through. I don't have a good looking beard like yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I should write a book, how to grow a beard. Right. Right. Um, but one of the things like you had a mentor um, basically tell you, like, it doesn't matter how young you are is if you show up and provide as much value and show that you actually care um, yeah. what you, in, in researching you, like you can just tell how much you actually care for, you know, being on this mission that you're on. Um, but how did you sort of break that story for yourself that, you know, I'm only 19 years old, I'm running this bank and these people are coming with me with, you know, money that they want to do things with. Like, that's a huge emotional thing. How'd you break that story for yourself? Yeah, that's such a great question, man. I remember that day sitting at the CEO's office of the bank. His name was JG. And he, he said the following phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Caleb, I know that you care. And um, it means the world to me that you, you said that I, it comes across like I care because I really do. And that's one of the things that like people are like, they'll ask like, how do you get people to like think that you're caring? And I'm like, you, you just got to care. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to answer that. Like, there's not a tactic. Uh, but, but here's the, here's the deal. So like, um, I was, I was in a position and, and if you can imagine the 10 minutes of horror that people would face, like mm. walking into the bank, imagine you're 50 years old, done well, you walk into the bank and you get met by me. And at first you think I'm like the assistant that's going to lead you into the, you know, right. but then I sit down in the corner office and shut the door. And then you have a holy crap moment. Like, <laughs> this, like um, and so I call this my, the blessing in disguise. And here's, here's what helped me get through it. I got really clear on why I was doing what I was doing, going back to, you know, I'm here to help you. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. And I also got clear on the more times I, the more I talked early on, the less my credibility went down. So I learned to ask good questions and genuinely be interested in what people wanted to accomplish. And I realized that if I could help someone accomplish and get the results that they wanted to get, it didn't really matter that I looked super young. Right. And, and I also, if I didn't know an answer, I would not lie to someone. I, I would say, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And what's interesting is normally when you have that turnover, um, you lose, you naturally lose people. Uh, that's just a natural thing. Our bank didn't lose a single client. It wasn't because I was so brilliant, but it was, I went over the top to over communicate and every single person, whether you thought I was experienced or not, you left feeling good because you knew that you had a, a person on your team. And that's, that's one thing that I've, I've learned and I'm still trying to develop, but like, that's something that I'm, I'm, I really want people to know that I'm there for them. And I think it translates in the way that we market and the way that we talk and the way that we write books and on podcasts. 
Yeah, I think that's a crucial for business, you know, actually showing people that you care and the way that you're doing that is, you know, asking them those questions and getting really down to what is it that they want? Because at the end of the day, like anytime we buy something, it's because we're trying to fulfill something that we want. We want to um, reach that desired state of person that we want to be. And so if you listen in and try and get that, they don't care, you know, what you look like, you know, what you can do. It's they just want that result. If you can get it for them, great. 100%. Yeah, I could not agree more. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit more about your mission statement and this belief that um, every person is their own greatest asset. Yeah, Brandon, you're asking great questions. I, I appreciate the the research that you did, you know, because a lot of typical financial advisors, their big thing is, okay, you make money, give me your money, and I'm going to invest it and, you know, try to make a great rate of return. And the dilemma that I had growing up is I always kind of felt like I was an entrepreneur, even when I was, even when I worked at the chicken farm and even when I worked at the bank. And so I had this dilemma between like, okay, I, I believe the best investment is not in some Wall Street you know, product, is not in a, you know, any kind of products out there. I believe the best investment we can make is investing in ourselves. And, and as cliche as that sounds, like I, I got, I've gotten super clear this last year that the best investment you can make, especially if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this and you're investing in other things and you're not, you're not highly productive or you're leaving money on the table, like think, think, like change the way that you're thinking and start trying to invest back in yourself. And so when I got clear on that, and then when I also got clear on the people that had access to money, opportunities would seek them out. For instance, if you have access to money, maybe a business opportunity will come or a real estate opportunity will come. Right. And then I looked at what most people are doing with their money. I'm like, man, what if, what if someone in the financial world who got like loves numbers and wants to help people maximize their money, what if they had the mindset of stop devaluing yourself? See, the big aha moment I have or I had and I still like try to live this out is most people devalue themselves in the way that they think about their money. Most people devalue their, themselves when they think about their time and their resources. And if I could summarize everything that I know, it's like stop devaluing yourself and start investing in the things that you care about. And don't, like, don't devalue yourself in the way that you think about your career and how much money you can make and the impact that you can have on this world. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you really um, hit home in your book about as you know, with yourself is getting clear on why, you know, why do you even want to have money? Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Why do you want to do these things in the world? Um, why is that so important to start with? Yeah, Simon Sinek uh, had this amazing TED talk that everyone should watch, start with why. And he pretty much goes like, people don't care what you do until they know why you do what you do. And, and even when I started at the bank, I would, I would sit people down I would get up on the whiteboard and draw the golden circle. Okay, this is what I'll tell you eventually what I'll tell you how you do. And a lot of people know how they do what they do. But very few people are clear on why they do what they do. Uh, Translate that to where we are now. I won't work with someone. I won't actually help someone with their money if they don't know why their why. If they don't actually, if they can't articulate the result that they want to accomplish, if they don't know where they're going, then it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland. Like, okay, if you don't know where you're going, then any road will get you there. Right. And then, I mean, it doesn't really matter what I do. And so having clarity on the why uh, is, is key. And one of the questions that I ask uh, to help people clarify this is if money wasn't an issue at all, like literally money doesn't exist. Let's get that off the, off the table. What would you be doing? Like, mm-hmm. I don't believe in retirement, by the way. I don't believe in just sitting back and, you know, <laughs> like watching Fox News like that. That doesn't like, right. 
doesn't really uh, excite me and I think that will end up killing you. The, yeah. the definition of retirement is being taken out of service. Mm -hmm. So, so like, what do you want to do? Like, and, and don't wait till someday in the future to, to live that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, so powerful because people get so wrapped up in the concept of money and having to make money um, that they often are putting themselves aside or, you know, have no idea what they want to do with it. And I think it's crucial that, you know, you ask them why, because if they don't, you, you're never going to be able to serve them at your highest. Um, and they're just kind of shooting in the dark. And Brandon, I'm so glad that you asked the why question because um, we can't spend a rate of return. And so one of the things that when I'm working with people and I get clear on their why, and then we go through a plan and they go, well, what if I can get a better rate of return here? Or what if this investment over here and they have no clue how this works? And I, and I go, okay, well, last I checked, Brandon, your why was to have X, Y, and Z. And this is the plan is helping you get a clear result. Mm -hmm. So it gets, but you can't do that if you don't know, if you don't have, if you can't articulate that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dive into some of the concepts that you bring up in your book. And you have three elements of the wealth equation, which are efficiency, compounding, and control. So can you break some of these down for us? Yeah, so I uh, put uh, together the most famous equation and made it my own. So I probably <laughs> got in some kind of trouble. Uh, but what I pretty much, Albert Einstein has this, this equation that I don't really understand it in the science world. <laughs> e equals MC squared. Okay. So, um, so what I, what I, when I was looking at this whole money thing, when I kind of was understanding that there's an unfair advantage of the people that knew what was going on, I realized that they were maximizing efficiency, like in every decision that they were doing, they were optimizing efficiency. And so in, in everything that we do, we try to work with people and optimize their efficiency. What, so what do I mean by that? Minimizing all the losses in your life and, and really giving and setting yourself up and maximizing all the potential gains that your dollar can do, including giving the control over that dollar because you never know what's going to happen in the future. Right. So one of the things that I believe is just a vital concept to learn as it relates to our money is this, this function of opportunity cost. Okay. Now, what do I mean by opportunity cost? Um, every decision you make has a consequence. For instance, if you take a dollar today and you spend it, you get whatever you, you get with that dollar, but that dollar is never able to earn for you ever again. So I, I chose to buy something with that dollar. That dollar is never able to earn for me ever again. That thing that I bought cost more than a dollar because, because that dollar is, is going to grow. It could have grown the rest of our, my right. life. And so when we think about efficiency, we can't just think about today, but we have to think about efficiency for maximizing our money today and our resources today. But we have to measure it over a long period of time. And, and if someone gets the idea that every decision you make has a consequence, like by default, you'll be wealthy. If you get that and apply that to your life and every decision you make with your time, with your money, with your life, if you understand that that, that decision will have long-term consequences, um, you're going to be set up to be successful. And so when you start looking at, you know, how people like what, what people are doing with their cash flow, where people are saving their money, how they're spending their money, you, you start thinking like, man, like we're, we're getting crushed. Like yeah. we are not doing a good job being efficient with our money um, because a lot of times we have lack of clarity, but then even with clarity, we just are taught certain things and we don't question it. So efficiency is like at the foundation. So E efficiency. And so how do we make your money most efficient equals M stands for money. I'm not super creative, but M <laughs> stands for money. And then the two C's stand for compounding and control. Now, Albert Einstein is noted for saying that compound interest is the eighth one of the world. He actually never said that he was misquoted for saying that comp 
compounding numbers is like this uh, eighth wonder of the world. But mm. if you look at compounding, it's, it's incredible. If you think about it, it's, it's just a function of your principal, your money earning interest, and then earning interest in, on that interest and on that interest. And when you see a compounding curve, you'll see like this hockey stick growth. And everyone wants the hockey stick growth. Everyone wants like, yeah, I want the million dollars, right? Yeah. Um, but, but they don't actually have a good strategy to help them get there. And a couple compounding killers, and I mean, if you're taking notes, write these down because these will kill your, your strategy for long-term compound growth. Anytime you lose a dollar in a market crash or any, any losses affect your compound growth. And I don't know if this was a big aha moment for you in reading my book, but average versus actual. Mm. And you know, you have a hundred dollars and let's say the first year we make a hundred percent on your money. Now your hundred dollars goes to 200. Yeah. The next year we lose 50%. Now your 200 goes down to 100. I averaged, Brandon, 25% on your money, but the actual rate of return was zero. So right. we want to make sure that we eliminate all losses. We want to make sure we eliminate all fees. It's, a, it's amazing what a 2%, 1% fee can, can erode over a lifetime uh, in, in a portfolio. The third thing is we, we want to eliminate taxes, especially, and, and the word eliminate is really key. Not, not postpone, not kick down the can, can down the road, but right. we want to figure out the best tax strategy to grow our money. Um, and then finally, we want to grow our money knowing that our greatest financial need is using it. So we want to grow our money. And ultimately, the reason why most people are getting crushed is they're using it at retirement and they're using it the wrong way. And so their money never continues to compound. So, so to kind of revisit, I know there's, I mean, this could be super overwhelming for the person, but so efficiency is optimizing every part of your life, every area of your life as it relates to your money. That equals your money maximizing the compound growth, but then also maximizing control. Now, I, I just talked about compound growth and I talked it up being this amazing, amazing thing. And I think it is. Brandon, if you had to give me one option between compounding or control as an entrepreneur, I would choose control nine times out of 10, probably 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Because controlling money over my lifetime is going to be far more profitable than the long-term passive growth. Even though compound interest is this amazing thing, it takes forever to kick in. Right. But controlling your money, if you're an entrepreneur, you could double your money next, next year if you do, if you have the right team. And so this idea of control is like really taking, taking control of your money and, and having access to it and being able to think about yourself as your number one asset. And then in this idea of control, start looking at institutions like banks that don't make their money on compound interest, but they're super mm. profitable institutions. How do they make all that money? Well, they're just institutions that control our money better than us. So yeah. to, to kind of summarize, my book is, is breaking down into like, let's be efficient. And that means getting your money to maximize the compound growth, understand the opportunity cost of every dollar that we have, but then also maximize the control now and in the future. And if you do that, if you can do that and apply that in your life, it's, it's like you will be financially independent, you will be financially free, and you will have a great impact uh, in, in the society because very few people have strategies to do all three. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, your book is so, it breaks it down so simply. So I've read a lot about, um, you know, other financial things. And um, one of the books that I read was Money Master of the Game. And if you've ever read a Tony Robbins book, it's like this thick. Um, and so you take all of these principles and you can break them down really nicely for people to understand. Um, but at the summation of this book, you talk about the controlled compounding strategy. So you're taking these principles 
and combining them um, and give us a little bit of insight of what that is and then why our listeners might want to go look at life insurance policies. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> the controlled compounding strategy, it, the, first, the first element is we have to, we have to rem- think about two different things. Most people, when they talk about money and they talk about decisions, they talk mm-hmm. about what you do. For instance, should you buy a house or should you rent? Should you buy a new car or should you buy used? Okay. I'm going to assume right now that doesn't matter. So let's say you're going to buy a car and at the end of the day, I'm not going to judge. So let's say it's a new car. Okay. So you're going to buy a new car. The second decision you need to make, and this is really, really vital. And this is where the controlled compounding strategy comes in. The second decision you make is how you're going to purchase that car. Okay. Now there's three ways to purchase that. Most of America doesn't have the money for the car. And so they go into debt. And right. so they're paying interest and they're a, you know, a, a slave to the creditor and every single month they have to pay payments and they're paying interest. Right. Well, well then we all kind of think, okay, we want to graduate from that and get to become a saver. And what does a saver do? They save money and then pay cash for the car, save money and make cash for another car, pay, save money and pay cash for college, whatever that is. And, and here's the big aha moment is they're not paying any interest. But every time they pay cash for that car, they're losing what that money could have earned them over their lifetime. Right. Going back to that, that concept you said of um, the opportunity cost. You know, you that, spend yeah. the money today, you can't make it a slave for you to work for the rest of your life. 100%. And so we finance everything that we purchase. Whether you pay interest or you lose interest, you're, you're financing that. And, and, and it's, it's really, really interesting. And when you talk to people that are paying cash for things, you just ask them like, dude, do you feel like you're on a treadmill? And, and yes, <laughs> because like you could literally not pay any interest. Awesome. But you don't have any money. Like right. you're continuing, your money is not working for you. And so there's a third option. I call it um, in my book, I call it the maximizers. And you kind of, you kind of teed me up. Um, when you structure life insurance in such a way, and, and my book is called the and asset that mm-hmm. is re- referencing a special type of life insurance contract that, and we could go into, I hope we can go into a little bit more detail about that, but pretty much if you set it up and structure it properly with the right um, coach and company, you can really set this up where it minimizes the insurance costs and maximizes the cash. Now what that allows you to do is it allows you to p- deposit and put money in a place that will literally grow for the rest of your life, not till retirement, but for the rest of your life, you know, uninterrupted, meaning it's, it's going to grow without any interruptions with taxes, fees, and losses. You got that going. But it also is one of the only paper assets out there that allows you to also leverage your savings, but your money gets to continue to grow. Mm. So let's, let's go back to the car example. If you save money in a place and that money could grow the rest of your life, and you could also leverage that to buy the car, you know, it's not free money, but at the end of the day, your money is worth more than just a dollar, remember. It's worth right. what that dollar could have been over your lifetime. Right. And you, you still, you know, get, get the car or whatever you're going to purchase. And so um, I believe it's, it's one of the greatest savings vehicles of all time. And the way that it makes it so great is how you use it. And the controlled compounding strategy is kind of the verb or strategy that a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with use to finance things in their business or buy real estate properties or have opportunities, but have all their money growing for the future. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, having your cake and eating it too. You get to plan for retirement, but you also get to use that money now. And as you know, entrepreneurs, you were saying earlier, like we want control because we know there's opportunities that come up all the time. And so if we can have money that basically gets to dual work for us, where it can be growing for the future, but we can also, you know, 
capitalize on those opportunities now. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And, and really the aha moment is this, um, is have you ever looked at the last like 10 years of a compounding curve? It's, it's, it's the most it's, exponential. Yeah. And so what people, what we're able to do is we're able to get that. And we're not, when we're able to get that without having to have to wait and not touch our money. Yeah, absolutely. So what is, I mean, what is the secret of this um, life insurance policy? And uh, I mean, you base it like it's one of the best investments you can make and you base it not just on, you know, one metric, but 16 in your book. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, so, so I just, I want to make something clear. It's, it's actually not an investment and that's really key because, um, it's, it's really think of it as an alternative savings, savings play. So when set up and used properly, it's going to get anywhere from three to 5% tax-free growth the rest of your life. So like every single year, so nothing super, super life-changing, but remember that's going to, that's the rest of your life and you get to utilize it while it continues to grow. So the, the first element is structuring it in such a way where the contract is specially designed to maximize the cash and minimize the, the insurance cost. If we want to use this as a savings vehicle, we want to pay as little fixed costs as possible and maximize the cash that we put in. So for instance, what most people do when they look at life insurance is they go, all right, Brandon, I want to get um, the most amount of insurance for the least amount of premium because right. we think of it as an expense. We have to think about it like an asset. I want to put as much money in for the least amount of insurance as possible. Like, why, why would you do that? It's because that's when we get all the amazing benefits for our cash. Mm. Um, and so, you, like, that's really the structure. And then when you set that up, you, you want also a contract that allows you to leverage your money. Like, allows you to, your money to continue to grow and be leveraged. And the other big reason why most people... Um, use this strategy and a lot of affluent and entrepreneurs and banks and corporations is because of the tax benefits. Yeah. Set up this, this, this contract properly, your money will, it's, it works like a Roth. You don't get a deduction of money going in, but money will grow tax-free, get passed on tax-free and you can utilize it tax-free. And, and then, and if you look at where our country is going and where taxes are going, that one benefit alone could be huge because yeah. I mean, taxes could double. I don't, I don't know, but like you're literally getting that money outside um, of that. And so the 16 benefits that I talk about, I I literally go through and and I ask the question on this. It's like so many people are obsessed with one thing. It's rate of return, but we have to ask the question, okay, what's the value of safety in my life? What's the value of being able to leverage money throughout my life? What's the value of having my money protected from predators the rest of my life? What's the value of having my money outside um, where the government can't touch it. What's the value of having certain guarantees in my life? Like we start going through and yeah, what's the value of having a good rate of return? That's one out of the 16. But mm-hmm. if all, if all your listeners did was got really clear on those 16 benefits, like, and, and just every decision they made on where and how to use their money went into like how many of those benefits they maximized and they prioritized those, you just would become way more, um, you, you just become way more, more like I'm trying to find the right word, like a better investor, just an overall wiser person as it relates to your money. Yeah. And this is what I love about your book is how you, you know, break these things down into simple ways that actually, you know, people are going to care about. And you have a, a test called the grandma test of, you know, would I tell my grandma these things? And it's really one of those things that, uh, you know, show how much you care and how much you put into this. Um, why do you think that most people don't know these things? 
already? Do you think that the financial industry, you know, purposely keeps us dumb? Um, wh- what do you think it is? How controversial do you want me to be? Go <laughs> as controversial as you like. That's what this podcast is about. So. Okay. So, so one of the things is uh, when you look at the certain companies that we use, we use mutual companies. Mm-hmm. Mutual, and in, in what that means is you have part ownership. So Warren Buffett is an incredible investor. He actually buys insurance companies because they're so profitable, but we're not working. The kind of contracts that I'm talking about, you can't do that with those kind of companies because mm-hmm. Warren gets the profits and you you don't. So right. one of the, there's a couple of reasons why you haven't heard about this. Number one is Wall Street and the banks have all the money. And when you do this strategy, you take money out of their system and put it in to, to outside of their system where they don't get money. And I'm not, and again, they're not evil, by the way. They're out to make a profit. Right. Banks and Wall Street, if you use the strategy, don't get to charge fees and percentages on the money and banks don't get to control your money. And so number one, most of the people that go through through college to get, become a financial advisor, this is how it works. You go through college, you learn stuff that you'll never apply, you, <laughs> you pass, you know, and then you go get hired by a firm, you become a product peddler. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, honestly, you don't know anything about money other than the fact that you know what what you should sell and Ironically, it's what the firm tells you to sell right. and, and come up with some kind of sales thing that they tell you to sell. And it's, and again, they're not, it's not their fault either. It's just the system that we've been brought up. My best blessing in disguise was I got in at a young age and I didn't have a direct mentor. Mm-hmm. That would have been me too, by the way. But because I had to go and seek knowledge, I learned some alternative things. So the first thing is why you haven't heard about this is Wall Street and the banks don't really want you to know. The second thing is, um, you know, look at how popular 401ks are, yeah. you know, most people aren't even like looking for a different way because 401k is so amazing. Um, and I say that sarcastically cause I, right. I don't think it is, but most <laughs> people don't just, they just don't think twice about it. Um, the third, the third aspect is life insurance is, is super, um, like butchered when sold. Like most of it, like I, I kind of like cringe every time someone says, Oh, oh Caleb, you sell life insurance. Like, Oh, like, no, no. I guess, <laughs> I, like, like 99% of it is just really awful. Yeah. Like it's terrible. Like, like you would be better off putting your money in a savings account. Yeah. Your money won't grow. You can't really leverage it. Like there's some companies that you can't, like most companies you can't do the strategy with. If the contract's not set up, it just takes forever. And so my thing is like, like, yeah, the reason why most people don't know about it is like it, we have such a bad rap in our industry. So, and then also by setting these up things up properly, Brandon, we are cutting our, what we get commission wise significantly. Because what we're essentially doing is we're saying, we're going to make this the best for you. And, and, and in return, we're putting, on, we're putting in certain riders that give you a lot of cash, but we don't get paid on what that goes in versus what most people do is they set it up where, and again, it's what they've been taught. I'm not, I don't want to like say that everyone's evil in this business. Absolutely not. It's just what right. they've been taught is a little bit more profitable for the, the firm and the institution. And so I'm a firm believer if you do the right thing, if you do the right thing, the money will follow. And in fact, like when we, like when we get clients, believe it or not, like they refer a ton of people because we help change their life. And so while we're setting these things up right and the service work is a lot of work and we have to have a team, we're getting people coming in. And so as a result, we're able to make a profit, um, doing the right thing for the client. And so those are just a couple reasons why you haven't heard of it. Um, and there's, there's probably more, but those are kind of the, the top, the top reasons. Yeah. How do we uh, start cultivating a better education about money for ourselves and for others? I think the biggest thing is ask questions. Like Mm. you shouldn't listen to me and just be like, Oh, Caleb's a genius. I'm going to listen to everything that he says. Like, like 
ask questions, challenge. And one of the biggest things that I did was like, I learned everything there was to know about different kinds of life insurance policies. Like within the life insurance policies, there's many different kinds, annuities. Like I worked at a bank, I did fixed annuities, index annuities, like looked at variable annuities and like I learned that. And then the mutual funds and then index, I did option trading, I worked with real estate investors. And so like at the end of the day, you have to like understand that like you have to ask questions. And so I would learn from different people. Like even I have mentors that disagree with each other. So one mentor says this on this tax strategy and, and I have those people around because I want to be challenged. I want to sharpen the saw. That's another habit that uh, Stephen Covey talks about. And so the biggest thing is ask questions. Don't like, don't take things for granted. But the last thing is don't devalue yourself. Most people will make things sound good, but by doing that, you're giving up total control. And as an entrepreneur, you're saying that you don't really believe in yourself. I know that sounds extreme, but I mean it. Yeah. And I think uh, it's so important for people to be asking these questions. I mean, money is one of those topics that uh, kind of gets shunned away. It's like money and sex and all these other things. Like we're just not going to talk about them. And then when we need to do something major with them, well, we're just going to give our control to our accountant or our tax you know, attorney or whatever. Um, when really this is your money, you should be in control of it. You should know what's going on. Hundred percent. It's like I, it's like we joke around. It's like the CPA is right under God. <laughs> yeah. CPA says we do, and 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 again, CPAs are great, uh, but a lot of times they're not thinking long term. They're trying to save you all the kind of money you today, and sometimes by doing that, you're really screwing yourself for the long term. And mm. so it's just it's just again, you have to think big picture, and that's that's why I, I'm biased, but the, I like kind of how my book is written. Because it's, it's more of like holistic on like, okay, I'm not just, I am talking about products here, but I'm take a step back and this is why I believe this unpopular thing. It's because yeah. efficiency, compounding and control. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about growing up. What were some of the beliefs and ideas about money that you had that maybe you had to change or ones that you found useful? Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yeah. So my dad is inc- incredible, by the way. And I would consider him a poor dad as it relates to, you know, how he thinks about money. He's mm-hmm. high income, you know, is a saver, but Robert Kiyosaki says savers are losers. Right. He's, he's not necessarily like thinking about like businesses and real estate flips and, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, one of the things that, you know, I grew up on was, is, is in this house of like, dad is bad, save money and, and don't spend money. And so I'm, I still like, like I hold a lot of those same values of like, okay, I'm not a spender. I really, I hate spending money to this day. Um, now I love investing money. So if like I can see a return, I'll, I'll throw money at anything. Right. But like, um, I'm not like, I don't like spending money and, and, and really teaching me to be frugal. But then what I really had to learn with outside of my other mentors and, and this journey is like, okay, that saving will get you to a place like you could do the strategy that I talk about in the book, but if you, again, if you don't consider, if you don't have the mindset, you're, you're going to be average. You might be above average, but you're still going to be average. Right. The person that's really going to be wealthy is going to be able to take their resources, their assets, and be able to multiply it in the things that align with their why and the things that they specialize in. Mm. And um, those two things. So I had a great upbringing and parents are awesome. And just that combination of like understanding to be frugal and saver with creating that wealth creator and you marry that together. And that's kind of the foundation that I, that I grew up in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you talk about your parents and every time I was researching you, um, 
you show a lot of gratitude for everything that you've learned, all the people that have been in your life. And so to you, what does it mean to be grateful and how has that helped you throughout your journey? Man, I, um, I, I did a podcast interview with a, a guy named Greg Kielema. He's, uh, he, he was like a second dad to me hmm. and he poured so much into me. He was one of my first clients and, and like he just passed away uh, recently due to, due to cancer. And one of the things that he, like, I got to spend a lot of time with him, uh, just before, before his passing. And one of the things that he was just big on is treasuring every moment. And, and like, he was super grateful as a person, like he was so grateful, even though he was going through this hell of of life, he was so grateful. And, and one of the things that I've just realized, and, it, and it's been, it, it, I've realized it ever since I was 17, 18, but it's, it's really sunk in deeper and deeper the, the longer I live is like, Brandon, I'm here because people believed in me. Like I have a core value of people because I got blessed big time. Like if you, if you think about it, I got a job at, at the chicken farm because of a friend. Mm-hmm. Then I got a job at the bank because of another friend who was, happened to be on the board and took a chance on me and got me in. And then I, then I got meant, I am mentored by someone who's, you know, sold to travel insurance agent. Like he's over worth over $600 million. And he decided to pour into me and I had the bank CEO pour into me and I had other mentors in our industry pour into me. And like, that has all made me to be who I am. And like, I, I sincerely like this book right here. Like it's not because I'm brilliant. It's because I'm not. And I had to learn from so many different people. And so I just like took all their stuff and put it into one place. And, and like, I look back and I I literally like get emotional because I would not be where I am without them. One of my favorite quotes is by Andy Stanley. And it's the value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away. Mm -hmm. And like, think about that. Like at, at your funeral, no one's going to care about what you did or your accomplishments. They're going to care about the things that you did in their life. And so everything that I try to do is I try to think about honestly my funeral and the impact that we're having in people's lives because soul money thing is awesome, but it really doesn't matter. Right. People, the people matter. And I just have so many incredible people that have poured in my life. And so being grateful and showing gratitude not only makes them feel good, but it makes me feel incredibly good. And that's just kind of a core value that I want to live by. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And, you know, adding that value to other people's lives, because you've had so much value added to yours, um, as something that shows through all of your work. Thank you, man. That means the world. Yeah. Um, So the other thing I wanted to touch on was you are a very avid learner, and, uh, you know, soaking in as much as you can, sort of like a sponge. And so what is the value of learning to you? Oh, I, so I was called, my nickname at the, at the chicken farm, you mentioned this was called Sparky. <laughs> so I was very like, very like vibrant. Like I wanted to learn everything. And then when I was at the, at the bank, if you asked, if you sat down with the CEO of the bank, uh, he would say a sponge with probably in the first sentence, mm. if you, like explain, like, you know, talk to me about Caleb is I've always been naturally curious and uh, it was, it's interesting. I, I interviewed Pat Flynn, who does a ton of podcasts. He's like an yeah. indirect mentor of mine. And I asked him, what's, how do you give a good interview? And he said, just be naturally curious. And I like, I could relate to that because I'm naturally curious. Like I'm flattered that you're interviewing me, but like secretly in my head, I'm like, I want to, I want to know all these <laughs> questions for you. And so yeah. I just asked a ton of questions. Like if you like, you know, I ask a ton of questions. I'm, I'm known as a person that just never shuts up, but I like, I constantly want to hear questions and 
Um, I feel like that's how wisdom is transferred. And so one of the things that, you know, I just have, have done is become obsessive about certain things. I believe obsession is one of the key traits that you need to be, to have to be successful. And I, when I obsess over something, then I try to find the best people and then just naturally learn from them. And again, the solutions that I found in my weaknesses growing up became my greatest strengths because I have a hard time reading. I would go to the experts and talk to them that now that mm. now you might be listening to this and be like, that's not the way that you learn. That's okay. But like figure out how you learn, but then be obsessive about learning from the best. Yeah. Yeah. And one of these things that you were obsessive about is wealth and money. And so yeah. I want to know, what do you think true wealth is? This, this is the question that I ask a lot of people and it actually has nothing to do with a bank account. And it has a lot to do with, again, living your why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's what would you do if money wasn't an issue? One of, the, one of the missions that I'm on is, you know, a, as a Christian, I want to serve people uh, at a great level. And so that is one of the elements that I have as it relates to true wealth. I want to be in a position where I can serve as many people and share with them, um, you know, the gospel and the good news. Another thing that I'm really passionate about is leadership and business. And so true wealth to me is living a life on, on your terms, but living it with, with purpose and, and, and whatever that looks like for you, um, like owning that and not letting money make decisions for you. So you are wealthy when you are living life on your terms and money's not controlling the decisions that you're making. Yeah, I I think that's huge because so many people let money um, keep them back from doing that thing rather than, um, you know, setting it aside and going out and doing that thing anyways, and then finding a way for money to be a vehicle to fuel that instead of holding them back. 100%. So um, the other question I want to ask you is, you know, money has kind of evolved a lot over time. Um, it used to be, you know, we had a big rock and we cut off chunks of it to buy things. And that's how we had currency. I'm still a fan of the barter system, by the way. Yeah. You know, and then eventually we had gold that we put everything against the standard of, and now we're moving to, you know, zeros on a digital screen and bitcoins and things like that. Where do you think, um, money is going? How do you think it's going to be used in the future? Yeah, great question. I will be the first to say that I'm not, I, I don't know much about crypto, mm-hmm. but the, the people that I have learned from and I respect, I do think that that is going to be, a, that's going to be a thing in the future. I don't know exactly how that looks, but, but it really, I, I do see that playing some kind of role in the future. Um, as, as, a, as it looks to how our money system works now, like I'm super concerned, like, Every year we're printing more money. Like our right. dollars are getting less and less valuable. And it's not really tied to anything other than the fact that you say a dollar is valuable and I say a dollar is valuable. Exactly. And so that is why I am such a huge fan of control and also such a huge fan of like being valuable because in the value economy, the person that has value, whether we buy things with crypto, with cash, with credit, like whatever that is, the person, the person that's creating value will be okay. Right. And, and that's another reason why Robert K. Saki says that savers are losers is because you can save a ton of, you can have $10 million, you can have a billion dollars in cash, but if I don't say cash is valuable anymore, that's, that's just a big bonfire, you know? Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's the thing is like, I don't know exactly like what the future is going to hold, even though like I, I'm looking at certain things like, okay, where are dollars going? Like gold is really interesting to me, crypto, but more importantly, I'm, I'm, 90% of my energy is focused on value. Caleb, how can I create more value? Because 
whatever happens, I'm not that smart. I, I don't know what's going to happen. If I'm valuable to people, I'll be okay. Yeah. And I think that's what's something that's so crucial about your ideas is this idea that you are your most valuable asset. And so if you are investing in yourself, you're building your skills, you are, you know, finding out ways that you can provide more value, no matter what the currency is, you're going to be able to show up in that marketplace and crush it. 100%. So the very last question before we get there, um, tell these people where they can find your book, where they can learn more about you, where they can maybe get in on some of these opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first thing is um, my book is called the and asset.com or, and sorry, yeah, the and asset, right. And you can go to Amazon, but if you want a free copy, go to and a N D asset, a S S E T.com. And I'm literally just giving it away. And all I'm asking is people to pay for the cost of getting them the book. So mm. that's the best way to get the book and learn about the strategy. Um, as, as a company, our, our company is called better wealth solutions. And we help, we help set up blueprints for people. So if this is something that interests you and you're like, man, I want to work with someone that not only knows what they're doing, but like can help me apply this. Like that's, that's what, what kind of business we're in. We're all about education, but we know that implementation is the true value. And uh, we have a blueprint that we help people implement. And a part of that blueprint is not just education, but it's actually working with a better wealth coach that comes alongside you and helps you tailor make your plan. Um, and then, and then pretty much on any social media, my first name, last name, please reach out. I, I love to hear your stories. I love to hear like how you define wealth. And if there's anything that I can do to offer you or your audience, like know that I'd do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Well, guys, I definitely recommend um, paying whatever the shipping cost is on that. I mean, these are things that you're going to want to know for the future. It's going to be money well spent. Um, but my last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? Oh, wow. You're going to stump me on this one. <laughs> How can we push the world to evolve? Meaning, um, can you give me a little bit more context? Yeah. I mean, what can we do um, as individuals to push the world at large to really change? So I have this belief that um, the evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. And it comes from this concept that Gandhi had of, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. Um, and so what can we do with ourselves in order to impact a, a larger scale? Great question. And it, it's really having a servant attitude. So the Go-Giver and Give and Take are two great books. And it, and it comes out of a, an attitude of giving. And like you, you're a perfect example of this, man. Like you have such a giving mentality that like, I want to do whatever I can to help you. And so how we evolve as a world is if, if we, if we as a society can, can not, instead of just looking at ourselves, can ask the question, how can we serve other people? How can we create value for other people? Like that, that's going to be the best way to evolve. And um, it's something that uh, it's, it's a part of the message that I'm trying to share with people is like, like be, be your number one asset, show up powerfully because to impact other people, not so that you can have more money in a bank account so that you can impact other people. And so that's a great question. And, and to be honest, I'm going to continue to think through that because I think it, it just answering a question like that once, like it's almost it needs to be a daily thing that you, you ask that every day and, and apply it to your life. Well, Caleb, I love that answer. I love that you will continue to think about it because that is what the show is all about is getting everyone to really think about these things, um, whether it's your money, whether it's your life, your relationships, whatever it is, think about this question. Um, and how you can show up every day and evolve yourself. So thank you so much, Caleb, for being on the show. I appreciate it. 
man, it was my pleasure. And I have to say this, you have an, you did an incredible job asking questions, doing your research. This was super, super enjoyable. And so thank you so much for literally making my day by having, uh, letting me be on your show. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app, rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.